Good morning and welcome to you. Uh, it's great to see you here. Our numbers are down a lot at the moment, obviously with the COVID situation. And just bear in mind, um, you know, the, the measures that have been brought in. Uh, try and maintain one and a half metres distance and wear your mask where possible. I'm going to put that as a caveat at the front because it is, a, it, it is an ongoing problem and it's happening and it's right here. So uh, we need to just be safe and treat it properly. I heard about uh, two optometrists. I'm an optometrist, by the way, in case you didn't know. Uh, and I heard about two optometrists. They were talking about one of their patients and um, one said to the other, uh, do you know Mrs. Jones? And he said, no, I, I don't know Mrs. Jones. You know, Mrs. Jones, she's got blonde hair, little lady. No, no, I'm not sure who you're talking about. No, Mrs. She's got two, two little kids, about eight and ten. No, no, I'm not sure who you're talking about. Uh, you know, she lives in Burns. So, you know, Mrs. Jones, he said, no, I, I can't place her. Plus 150, minus 125, X is 90 in the right eye. Oh, that Mrs. Jones. <laughs> right? And so sometimes we find that, that we categorize people not by how they look, but by the prescription that they're associated with. And um, uh, so this morning I want to talk about uh, a prescription for 2022. As an optometrist, it's my job to diagnose people, to find out what the problems are, and to design a prescription that would possibly solve their problems. Now, according to the Collins Dictionary, a prescription is a proposal or plan which gives ideas about how to solve a problem or improve a situation. Now, doctors and medical people like myself have notoriously bad handwriting. Am I right, Colin? So I, I thought I'd put this up. I thought this was really cool. A wise doctor once wrote... <laughs> there you go. Um, I just thought that was very cool. It's a sort of a... Yeah, it's a medical thing. Um, but see, you know, we might have the knowledge to write prescriptions, but it's whether we write them in a decipherable fashion. In 2022, I think you would agree that this nation is pretty sick. I believe it is. The lucky country no longer seems the lucky country, country at all. We are morally ill. We are socially destroying ourselves. And now we have COVID in record numbers. We're physically ill as well. With the resultant uh, mandates and so on brought down, we're now mentally ill. I mean, we're ill on every level in our nation, don't you, don't you think? And I think our nation desperately needs, it's desperately sick, and it needs the right prescription. And the right prescription written by the great physician for our nation right now. Now, prescriptions are not generic. You probably don't realize, well, you probably do realize this. When you go to see your doctor, or your dentist, or optometrist, or anybody else, he doesn't just pick a figure out of the sky and apply it to you. He looks at your situation. He makes that prescription specific for you. Okay, I don't, as an optometrist, I don't get up in the morning and watch Sesame Street and they say, well, the number for today is seven. Great, I'm going to go and prescribe plus seven to everybody today. No one would like that. Plus seven is almost unwearable unless you are plus seven, right? So no one would like that. I design a prescription specifically for people for their problem. And uh, whether, whether their problem is a small or big, I design something to fit. And so God has designed a prescription for Australia right now. It was written centuries ago, but it specifically targets our world and our country today. So would you like to know what it is, God's prescription for the, the ailments of our nation? If you have a Bible, please open to 2 Chronicles 7, verse 11 to 16. And all this is on the app. If you have our app, all the notes are there. You can take notes yourself and everything. It's all on our, our church app. But we're going to look at 2 Chronicles, in particular chapter, uh, chapter 7, in particular verse 14. 
but we'll look at some verses around there. Let me start at verse 11 and let me read through because it'll give you some context as to where this prescription was initially delivered and what it could mean for us today. It says this from verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord uh, and the king's house. So you remember David couldn't build the, the temple, but his son Solomon was able to build the temple. And all that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and he said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so, so, so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, so there's all the bad stuff. When, I do, when all this bad stuff befalls you, he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land." Now, open my, uh, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would just, as we open these scriptures up here, Father, that you would speak to us. We know these were written for the people of Israel back in Solomon's day, but we believe they have application today for our nation and for any nation that would fear the Lord. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear what we should do going ahead and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So obviously the prescription clearly written for the people of those times, but it has implications for us now. He wrote this uh, prescription, the Lord wrote this prescription, and it's his professional plan for healing a nation. Like any prescription, it only applies when it, when, sorry, it only works when it's applied. If I write or print a prescription out on a piece of paper, if you hold that in front of your eyes, you don't see any better. In fact, you see worse because you've got a piece of paper in front of your eyes. It only works when the prescription is made up. Just because it's written doesn't mean it works. It doesn't work until it's actually made up. And if you don't do what the physician says, you can't blame him if it doesn't work out the way that you want because he's written the prescription and expects you to fill it. I often say to kids who are resistant to wearing glasses, <clears throat> I sit them down very seriously and I say, listen, we've done a lot of studies on this. We've spent millions of dollars in research and we've discovered that glasses don't work if they're in your case. And they go, oh, really? You know, But it's true, unless you apply it, the prescription doesn't work. So I want to examine this prescription in verse 14 and see what it says to us today. So the first thing is, if my people. God says, if my people. Everybody say, if my people. Not the politicians, not the media, not the people out there arguing on Facebook. If my people. This prescription has been written for the people of God, for you and I. This generation of Christians is responsible for this generation of souls right around the earth. We can't sit around and blame somebody else if the job is not done in our generation because that is our responsibility. And that's what the, the prescription starts right there. It says, you and I, if my people, God says. In 1 Peter 2 verse 9 it says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, we are his people. 
We're, we're royalty. If he's the king of kings and you're a child of the king of kings, what does that make you? A prince or a princess. So we are actually royalty. Then it goes on to say the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So let me ask you, are we proclaiming right now in our nation? Are we seeing darkness in this land turned into light? Well, frankly, I don't think so. I think we're busy arguing about things that don't really matter in eternity. Because what matters is salvation in eternity. I see Christians fighting one another over doctrine, over opinions, over all sorts of things. I even heard, I was talking to a pastor a couple of weeks ago, I heard of a marriage that uh, he, he uh, married this young couple about, I think, three years ago. And their marriage is on the rocks. They are on the point of separation and divorce over vaccines. That's their issue. That's what they can't get together on no matter what. That is wrong, folks. Because at the end of the day, vaccines might or might not be important depending on your point of view. But at the end of the day, they're not important in, in, in eternity. God is not standing at the gates of heaven seeing if you're vaccinated or not. Have you got a tick on your phone? Let me see. You know, he's not doing that. God is not doing that because it's so, there is so much more happening apart from what is filling everybody's mind right now, right around the nation and around the world. Now, let's be clear. We did not cause this mess, all of the coronavirus and stuff. We didn't make decisions and all that sort of stuff. Um, and our, but, so our country's situation right now is not our fault. Let's be clear. It's not our fault. However, it is our responsibility. We are still responsible, whether we cause it or not, we are responsible for the, the amelioration or for its treatment, for its healing, and we have the prescription. You and I, the people of God, have the prescription right here. Not governments. You can protest all you like. They're not listening. Not the media or social media. You can write whatever you like on there. They'll just filter it out and ban you. It's not them is the problem. We need to be the ones who step, in and, uh, step up and be counted and say, you know, I, I'm, I want to make a difference because we have the prescription. If my people, the next bit says, who are called by my name. We are called by his name, by the name of Jesus Christ. We're not just Ignite members or Pentecostals or churchgoers. We are Christians, literally Christ's ones, Christ's followers. We bear his name. Names are very important in the Bible. We don't have this so much now. Um, but back in Bible days, names were important. You, you would encapsulate where you, where you thought someone's future was in their name. And it actually still happens. My name is Darren, D-A-R-I-N, and my parents named me after Bobby Darren, the great rock and roll singer. So I think there is something in it because I can play guitar, you know, and stuff like that. But back in the Bible days, when people had a real encounter with God, oftentimes their name changed. Think about it. Abraham became Abraham. Abraham means uh, exalted father. Abraham means the father of multitudes. You see how his name changed. So Abraham became Abraham. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. In the New Testament, goes on still. Saul becomes Paul. Judas becomes mud. Everybody who encounters God, or many of them, their name changes because they had this encounter with God. So names are very, very important. We don't emphasize it enough now, the name of Jesus Christ. If my people who are called by my name. Um, Bill Newman tells a story, I'm going to pinch one of his stories, about Alexander the Great coming in from battle one day. 
and he'd had a great victory in battle, but they, they took this boy and they threw this boy at his feet and they said, this boy was caught retreating and running away from the battle. What's your verdict? Well, of course, the verdict should be to kill him. And uh, uh, so he was just about pr- to pronounce his, his execution. And, and a general jumped in and he said, Alexander, please forgive him. Don't kill him. Forgive this young man. He will fight bravely for us one time in the future. And Alexander was feeling benevolent after his victory. And he said, oh, okay, of course. And he's walking away and he stopped and he, he thought for a second. He went back to the young man. He said, excuse me, young man, what's your name? And the young man said, my name's the same as yours. It's Alexander. And Alexander the Great became incensed with rage and he grabbed this, this young fellow by the scruff of his shirt and he looked in his eyes and he glared at him and he said, either change your ways or change your name. Because if you have the name, you should have the ways. That's what he was talking about. 1 John 3 verse 9 says this, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And I think there's, there's truth right there. If you know Jesus, you should in some way, your, your behavior should be modified so that you become more Christ-like. Is that right? Now, none of us get it right. All of us fall. All of us, you know, continue in some sort of sin. But I think if it's, if it's habitual, then you need to bring it to the Lord, let him forgive it, and let your life change to be more like Christ. So if my people who are called by my name, the next bit says, will humble themselves. Now the Hebrew word for humble is the word kena, which means to be brought down, to be brought in subjection to, to bow down to. So in essence, what it means is to be obedient. Humility, let's face it, has never been a strong point for mankind. Are we agreed? We don't really value humility. Uh, Pride was the original sin. It was Satan's original sin as well, which saw him cast out of heaven. But throughout God's word, he champions and cherishes those who are humble. And yet we in our society, we don't do that. We think humility is being weak, but it's not. Humility is not weakness. It is strength under control. It's not weakness. Our world, of course, celebrates people who achieve success, maybe in business or sport or politics or even in the church. But we have pride. You know, when we have pride, we automatically disqualify ourselves from a whole bunch of blessings that God has for us. Let's look at what the Word of God says. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So if we're humble enough then that's what awaits us. James 4, verse 6 to 8. But he gives more grace. Therefore the Lord says, God, sorry, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He's there imploring us to be humble and to be pure before God. James 4 verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humility and obedience to God is the prescription because it opens, it's in that prescription because it opens doors. If we are humble and we are serving the Lord without any agendas, suddenly God will pour out blessing upon us. So it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. 
There's an old bumper sticker I saw which says, if all else fails, pray. That's a dumb bumper sticker. Why do you wait until all else fails? Why do you try everything in your power when you're, till you're absolutely desperate before you finally get around to praying? Why don't we start with prayer and cut to the chase? Don't that make sense? So what this prescription is calling for is, is for us to be humble and to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. What does pray without ceasing mean? Now, have you ever puzzled over that? Obviously it can't mean that you are on your knees all day, every day, because if you were, you would just be like a monk or something. You would never actually be out in the world doing anything. You wouldn't be alive. You'd just be on your knees in prayer. That's not bad, but it can't be the whole day. You see, prayer is, it doesn't require a physical posture. It doesn't require special words or a written script. Um, praying is simply talking to God. Do you talk to God? Yes? Many of you do. Does he talk back? Oftentimes he does. It's a two-way street and we need to be constant. When it says pray continuously, it means live in a state of constant communication with God where you're, you're praying and he's, he's speaking things back to you and you can actually live there. It's a wonderful place to live in constant communication with the Lord. That's what he's calling us to. Now notice how prayer is tied in with humility and it's also tied in with rejoicing and thanks. Prayer is, is living in a, joy, a joyful relationship. I mean, prayer it should actually be a joyful thing. Sometimes we, th- we think prayer is a, is a, it's just a hassle. It's a chore, but it's not, it should be joyful. If you think about it, prayer should be more than just asking for stuff. If I uh, want to have a good marriage, I need to talk to my wife other than when I ask her for stuff. If, if, if everything... If, if every word I ever said was asking her to do stuff for me, you haven't got much of a relationship, have you? Because I should be talking to her, interacting with her, fellowshipping with her, connecting with her. And that's what prayer is. It's not just a list of things that we give God. It's actually connecting with Him. Many Christians don't even know what real prayer is. We think it's a formal thing. We think we have to pray with special words. But it's not. It's just an overflow of your heart. It's just saying, Lord, I just want to connect with you. One of the great joys we've had um, at Lily House and uh, other places, but I, I think of a particular at Lily House, is when some of the girls come to Christ and they begin to pray. And they just pray in their language. And um, I'm, I'm sitting listening to some of them thinking, I need to filter some of this language out. The Lord's not going to handle those words. Uh, they're a little, a little raw. Um, but... I love the way they can just pray whatever they, you know, that just comes out of their heart. Trust me, I think God can handle that stuff. He's not offended if you just pray in your normal tone, in your normal language. Is he going to keep you there forever? I hope not, but he's not offended. Matthew 6, this is what Jesus had to say about prayer. Listen to this. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. (coughs) We don't need to heap up empty words. I've always been intrigued by um, uh, the Tibetan prayer wheel. 
Because rather than pray empty words, they write them down and they just turn the wheel. And that's the equivalent of praying. And I think that is a waste of time because it's, it's, it's empty phrases. It's mindless. It's not prayer. Prayer is connecting with God, communicating with God. Prayer is not mindless phrases. It's not pre-prescribed prayers necessarily. I mean, they're helpful at times. But, you know, prayer is just an overflow of the heart. We don't need mindless Babylon. We don't need beautifully scripted prayers. What we need is, is hearts who are desperate to connect with God. Do we hear an amen? See, God knows our needs before we pray. He's already, he already has a plan for our nation, Australia. He already has it. Why do we need to pray? It's for our benefit, not his. He's got a plan. But we can be part of that as we pray. And I believe that that's what the Lord is calling us to in 2022. That's why in, in uh, Tuesday week, we're going to have our first prayer meeting here. And it's not really just a prayer meeting. We're going to pray. We're going we're to uh, praise the Lord. We're going to sing. But also, it's not going to be church. We're going to let, let things flow. I believe that we're going to hear prophetic words that day. I believe we're going to see healing at that time. They're the things that I'm after. I want to see healing in people's bodies, in people's minds, in people's hearts. I want to see healing of relationships and restoration of relationships. I want to see families brought back together. You know, there's a bit of uh, controversy last week talking about oil in palms and gold dust and angel feathers and stuff. I don't want any. I want to see genuine healing. I want to see God move. I want to see our nation brought to its knees and worshipping the Lord. That's, that's the sort of miracle I'm after. And that's what we're going to be praying into next week. We're going to continue this. I hope right throughout the year, we're going to continue to pray and to cry out to God and to see God move miraculously. Do you believe he can? I believe he can. But as we pray, we see him move. We can be a part of that. The key part of our prescription to healing our nation is to pray. We'll humble themselves and pray. Not as a last resort, but as a matter of behavior, as a normal part of life. And if we are serious about seeing our nation healed from not just the pandemic, but just the social upheaval we've seen in the last several years, from the, from the conflicts, from the control, from the immorality, if we're serious about seeing our people healed from that, we are going to be praying. And we'll be praying together. So it says, well, humble themselves and pray. And what's the next bit? Seek my face. The Hebrew word for seek is the word bakas, which means to earnestly and actively look for something. That doesn't sound well, earnestly and actively look for something. What does it, let me give you some context. Have you ever lost your keys? I do all the time. Thank you. That's true. Or your phone. I tell you, when you lose your phone, there's a new level of fear when you realize it's on silent. How am I going to find this? Can you call my number? You know. Have you ever lost your phone or your keys, not in your house, but out there somewhere? That's a new level of fear, isn't it? You know, the, the, and this is, this is if, if I've lost my keys somewhere in the car park, if I've lost my phone somewhere out there, man, I am earnestly seeking that. I'm telling you, I'm not going to kind of go, oh, well, she'll probably be right. It'll show up eventually. No! I am out there on my knees looking underneath every car trying to find my phone or my keys or whatever it is I've lost. I have a little thing on my key ring that chirps at me if I send a sort of a signal from my phone. That's the general idea. 
I actually don't like it because it chirps at me all the time and I don't know why. But, but, you know, we will do anything we can to fight. That's the level of desperation. We need to seek his face with that level of desperation. So many well, you know, well-meaning believers seek God's hand and not his face. They seek God for what he can do. They don't seek God because he's God. They, they want him to do stuff all the time. They, want him, you know, they, they seek him because they seek his kingdom blessings, but they don't seek the king. Prayer is not about seeking something from God. It's about seeking God. This is the thing. Let me, you know, well, look, the thing we just talked about, these little manifestations and that sort of stuff. We shouldn't be seeking those things. We should be seeking God. That's what we need to do to seek the Lord with all our heart. And let him lead us and guide us. And I believe as we do that, we will see major miracles in this place and outside of this place. Our nation desperately, desperately needs this prescription filled. And we can do that as we pray together. I'm praying for signs and wonders, proper signs and wonders. Are you with me? Over-the-top miracles of healing, provision, restoration and salvation. We saw the Lord bring in hundreds of thousands of dollars to bring us into this auditorium. Have we forgotten that? It's only a few months ago. But God worked this incredible miracle. And now here we are in desperate need again in our nation. How can we not believe the God who just brought in all these this, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash? We can believe him, folks. He's proven it already. All we need to do is to pray and to seek him and seek his face, not just his hand. Matthew 6.33, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because it really puts this particular point into perspective. What are we seeking? (coughs) Jesus says this, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things are given to us as well. Leading up to that passage in Matthew 6, he's saying, look, you know, don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about where you sleep. You know, the pagans think about that. Let them chase after that. And then he says that. But if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, you get all those things as well. Don't seek them. Seek him and let him bring to you what you need and what you, you know, what he wants you to have. If we seek God, if we seek him because we love him, because he's our father, not because we want stuff, then I believe that he will graciously fulfill this prescription in our land, our homes and our families and our bodies and our lives. So that's the first part of the prescription. There's one little bit on the end we don't like to talk about very much. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Yeah, we don't want to talk about that. Because turn, or wicked ways, is something that we quite delight in. In Hebrew, the word for turn is sub, which means, doesn't mean, does not mean veering away and just missing it. It means turning 180 degrees around. That's important. We're not out there. Let me be frank. If you love God, you need to be, and you want your prayers to be answered, you need to not be tolerant of sin in your life. He's a God of provision, he's a God of love, he's a God of care and of comfort, but he is also a holy God. You can't tolerate sin in your life and expect him to answer. It just doesn't work that way. Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone, for without holiness no one will see the Lord. What does holiness mean? It doesn't mean 
it doesn't mean that we, we sort of, oh, well, we just put up with stuff as we go. It means that we repent of stuff in our life and get our life right so that we can see God moving in our hearts and in our life. Psalm 66, verses 17 to 19 is interesting. It says this, I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. So he was praying. Uh, the writer, he was praying. But then he said this, If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Then he goes on to say, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Listen, if you want to draw close to God, you cannot cherish iniquity in your heart. You can't hold on to sin and say it's okay because it's not. When you hold on to sin and you don't confess it, a barrier is between you and God. If I, if I, well, what's it say? If I cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So we cannot tolerate this. Billy Graham once said, salvation is free, but it's not cheap. And sometimes we cheapen it, thinking we can get away with stuff and God's still going to bless us. That is not my experience, and that is also not biblical. God does bless us. God wants to bless us immeasurably, but we have to be righteous before Him. He has a plan for your life. You know, we know, we know all this stuff. He says, I have a plan for your life. I love you. I want to prosper you, not to harm you, and that sort of stuff. But we forget that we have to seek Him with all of our heart and we have to be righteous. We have to live lives that bring Him glory. So many people get this wrong. They think that it's okay to harbour something. And we have, a, you know, we have a hierarchy of sins. We shouldn't. All sin is the same, but we do. We think some sins are worse than others. So we think immorality is bad, but anger, well, it's just me. It's the way I am. Is it? Because I think anger is most often a sin. It could be righteous anger. Yeah, it could be. But God will tell you if it's righteous or not. As a nation, or as individuals, I believe that we, we should turn to the Lord and we should repent. Do I hear an amen to that? If you are perfect, then you are in the wrong spot because the rest of us are sinners. But we can repent of that and we can say, Lord, cleanse me and make me right. But I also believe our nation needs to repent. Do you? Our nation needs to repent of the laws that have been brought in, of the way we treat people of our past and the way we've treated people in the past. The people that we haven't loved, people that we haven't cared for. That's what our nation needs to repent of. Now let me give you a snapshot of something that's irritating me at the moment. And I'm sure to get in trouble for this. I apologize in advance. Those of you watching on Facebook, take notes. Let me know. Um, they do. Trust me, they do. But look, we are, we are living in, you know, COVID and all that sort of stuff. Not here to comment on that. It's, it's a clear and present danger. Okay, we know that. And our government has, has done a lot of things, which you may or may not agree with, to try and minimise people dying of this condition. Okay, that's, that's just, that's what they tell us. You can believe what you like to about that. And I don't know how many have been saved, but I know there's only, is it, is it 12 or 15 or something that have died in this state over the last two years? You know, good for them, it's done. But let me just give you a perspective. In that same period of time, over 25,000 babies have been murdered in the womb. There's a perspective. 40 million worldwide in a year. We have to repent, ladies and gentlemen. We have to repent for our nation because 
I, I once wrote a song called Our Blood Is On Your Hands. It was uh, an anti-abortion song. I feel very strongly about that. That's why we started Lily House. It's all part of that. But the words and it says not, it's, it's from the baby, written from the, 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 the baby's point of view. And it says this, not to speak is just the same to us as if you held the knife, as if you cut our flesh. We don't speak, folks. So how can we, how can we deal with this? How can we face these, these situations where, where so many abhorrent laws are coming down? I tell you right now, you've seen it with the freedom much. You can protest as much as you like. They're not listening. So you can't, you can't protest your way through it. You can't, you can't scream and yell and fight on Facebook about it. You can't do, it doesn't amount to anything. There is no point in that. The only way we can move ahead is God's prescription, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then where does it go? What's the promise on the end of that? The very next verse says this, Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. It's a threefold promise, and it's a covenant, but it's a conditional covenant. Let me explain something just about covenants and about promises of God. Because sometimes we take promises of God that were never intended for what we want and we start trying to apply them to our situation. Let me tell you about some of the, the, the promises of God. I'll just give you a clear distinction between two of them. There's absolute promises and there are conditional promises or absolute covenants and conditional covenants. What's an absolute covenant? Well, if you look at Genesis chapter 9, when, uh, which is, is uh, Noah's Ark and the aftermath after that, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, God says this, I establish my covenant with you, and never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood and destroy the earth. And God says, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for future generations. I have set my bow, my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That is an absolute covenant. When I see the rainbow, that is an absolute promise that God will not destroy the world by flood ever again. That's his promise. And that's why I get so cranky when I see the rainbow applied in other areas. Well, look, long before the rainbow represented the gay movement, it represented God's absolute promise. All seven colors of it, folks, is God's absolute promise. You can't rescind that. You can't change it. You can't uh, sin enough to make that not apply. It's an absolute the promise in this particular prescription is not absolute. It is conditional. If my people, da 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 then will I. It's conditional upon us being obedient. If you don't do that, you don't get that. And that's why we, we are crying out to God and saying, if my people, because God says it's down to the people of God to, to do this. The reward is spelled out in three phases. God will hear. God will forgive and God will heal our land. And we need that. The lucky country is full of pain, full of hurt right now. It's full of sin and debauchery. It could be a land of righteousness. It could be a land of plenty, a land of blessing, goodness, holiness, wholeness, kindness. If my people. Who wants God to hear their prayer? Anybody? If my people. Who wants God to forgive their sin? I'll put my hand up for that. If my people. There are promises all through the Bible that confirm this. 
that if we as the people of God still our hearts and pray and seek God, He will heal our land. Psalm 37 verse 4, let me read this to you. Verse 4 and on. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. We read that oftentimes as, God's going to give me everything I want. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You don't do one, you don't get the other. It's a conditional promise. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not, listen to this, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. I believe that's a word for us today. It is time for us as the people of God to stop fretting about what everyone else is doing. To stop fretting about what the government is deciding, what the media is pushing through. It's time for us to push that stuff aside and turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth grow what? Strangely dim. This stuff fades away. The legislation and the rules and people fighting and people disagreeing and all this sort of stuff. It's time for us to take our eyes off all that and put it straight on Jesus Christ. On him and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not this other stuff. It's also time, and this is a word to me, because I'm really, really good at this sin. It's time to stop grumbling and start praying. I know there is injustice in our society. I know it. You know it. We know things are not fair. We know things are not right. You can see that. I can see that. But rather than grumbling and moaning and and getting angry about it, I believe here's a prophetic word to us today to stop getting angry about injustice and start praying. Anger, as that passage we read in Psalm, they're fretting, which leads to anger. Anger, even righteous anger sometimes, tends toward evil. It just has a habit. When you get angry, it tends towards evil. It just does. You know that. I know that. So I'm calling this church to lay all that aside and to focus on God in this godless generation. Philippians 2 verse 14 says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Man, I hate that verse. That's a tough... Do all things... It can't mean all things because there's so much to grumble about in our society. But it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. How many of us have been disputing arguing, fighting, confronting, pushing our point of view against somebody else who disagrees with us. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. It is time for us, folks, to shine as a church, to shine as believers. It is a dark world out there But the darker it gets, the more we can shine. I believe God's calling us to put our anger and disputes aside and to focus on Him and to pray. And the same way the early church did it. You know, we often look at the early church and say, gosh, that would have been great. What did they do? Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we are being called to be devoted to teaching, fellowship, communion, and to prayer. 
This means prioritizing time with God, prioritizing fellowship with God, reading His Word every day. I, I, a couple of weeks ago, I preached at the start of the year. I want to reiterate that now. I would love you. I would desperately love you to join us in the Bible reading plan. It's only two chapters a day, but we can get through most of the Bible, all the highlights together. Join us because there's power when we do it in unity. When we read the Word of God, there is power. If you say, well, I'm a Christian, I just don't want to read the Word of God, you're missing out on the biggest slice of it. Because reading God's Word becomes alive. So we should be reading the Word every day, prioritizing coming to church. I mean, I look, I'll be honest, I know this, this church, it's our new auditorium, but I know it's not ideal. The toilet's less than stellar. I agree, okay? I get it. They're not, we're working on that. We're, we're, we're trying to get a cry room together here. Uh, or a creche, you know, but don't come because we've got great toilets. Don't come because it happens to be convenient in the middle of town. Come because you want to hear the Word of God and you want to fellowship and you want to pray and you want to believe and see God turn this nation around. That's the reason to come. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. And prioritize prayer. You know, over the last few weeks, I've had a couple of weeks off. You probably haven't noticed, but I noticed. And... Um, we had Fiona and I, people said, have you been away on your, your few nights away? And well, no, we'll get to that a little bit later. We didn't go anywhere, did we? We had a staycation. We stayed in the same spot and cationed together. And um, while we were there, I got the chance to read and got the chance to think and got the chance to pray. And more than ever before in my life, I'm absolutely convinced that God is calling us to prayer as a body. As a team, God is calling us to prayer. I love that you're here on Sundays, but come that Tuesday night because I believe God's going to start doing some sensational things. And it won't be a one-off. We've got to continue to pray, continue to believe, continue to trust God for our future and for where we are going to continue to stand together. Um, I'm hoping that going forward they'll be bi-weekly. So every second week we'll have connect groups on the first week and then we'll have the, the, the prayer gathering together on the second week. But I believe if we pray together we can see results, don't you? I believe if we join our hearts and we cry out to God and we seek Him earnestly that we can see real, tangible, true moves of the Holy Spirit. Incredible things like people coming to Christ, come, coming to know Jesus, people getting healed physically, people getting healed emotionally, incredible provision financially and otherwise. Families being brought back together, marriages being restored. That's what I'm praying for you, are you? That's what I'm praying for all of us, that we would see those things. So today I'm going to ask you to stand with me in those. But if you, if you have never asked Jesus into your life, then you are missing out on the greatest experience ever. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this is your moment to give your heart to the Lord and start on the greatest journey ever. We are not here by chance. We are not here to get something, most of us. We are here because we love God and we want to give. I believe we've got a church of people who want to give to the Lord, not just take, give. And as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, all this other stuff is added to us. You don't have to seek that stuff. It's all added to us. I remember hearing the story of a, and I'll, I'll finish with this. I remember hearing the story of a, 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 a man who had a, a, his, his only son. He was a very rich man. His only son went off to war. 
and, and, and was killed in the war. He'd, he'd had a, a portrait commissioned of, of, the, of the son before he went off to war and was killed. And he, he hung this in, in his, uh, his little gallery there. He had millions of dollars worth of paintings, all really famous paintings, but in the middle of it was this, this one painting of the son that he loved because he knew, he knew that son. He knew he'd never get him back, and he loved that son. And uh, when the old man passed away, they gathered together for the, uh, the art auction of the century, all these incredible treasures that were going to be offered. And the auctioneer got everyone together, all these people from all these auction houses around the place, rich people wanting to buy the paintings. And the, 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 the auctioneer said, the first thing we're going to auction is this painting of this, this son, this young man here. And uh, do, do I hear a bid on it? No one will bid on it. In the end, the butler, the old butler said, look, I'll, I'll bid $10. Is, there any, is it going once? They said, get on with the rest. We don't want this stuff. Get on with the real paintings. And so the, the, the old butler said, look, I'll, I'll bid $10. Well, bam, the gavel slammed down. And then the auctioneer said this, I now bring this auction to a close. They went, what are you talking about? All of these riches and paintings and everything else? He said, no. He said, it was written in the old man's will. Whoever gets the son gets the lot. And I believe that's God's word for you today. Whoever gets the son gets the lot. You've got to ask Jesus Christ into your life and you will not know your life can be completely transformed. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, we just want to honour you this morning because we know our nation is sick and in need, desperate need of this prescription. But now, Lord Jesus... Before we go any further, if you have never asked Jesus Christ into your life, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts right now. If you've never asked Jesus into your life, he's talking to you right now and he's saying, let's do it. You get the Son, you get the Lord. Your life will be transformed, but ask the Son into your life. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you've never asked Jesus into your life or it's, if it's been a long time since you've, you've been in church or anything like that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to make it right right now, to get it right at this very moment. I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me. And together we are going to ask the Lord Jesus into your life to turn your life around forever. Just say these, pray these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned and that I have rejected you in the past. But right now, Lord Jesus, I turn away from my sin and I turn to you and I ask you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit and for welcoming me into your eternal family. If you pray that prayer for the first time or for the first time in a long time, just shoot your hand up very quickly and put it down, just wherever you are. Just take a few moments for that. Good. Now for the rest of us. Lord, you see the cry of our hearts. Our hearts cry out for our wayward nation. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us as we begin to pray and begin to seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Lord, we want to pray that, that uh, we would do our bit, that you might do yours. 
that you will hear from heaven, you'll forgive our sin, and Lord, that you will heal our land. The great news is that he's chosen to use you and I to pray and to be a part of this great act that he's about to perform in our nation. I believe that we have revival coming to our nation. I believe that we're going to have a move of God such as never been seen on these shores since the time began. And Lord, to that end, we want to open our hearts to you and say, have your way, Lord God. Do whatever you need to do in our life that we might be vehicles, we might be stars shining in the brightness. That that when all around is dark, that we might shine ever brighter for you, Lord God. We pray that you would challenge us, stir us up, humble us, that we might reach out to you and seek your face. Lord God, use us, use this church, use our homes and our families, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.